Yes, sir. And welcome to the road to Damascus, where it's not about the road, it's about the journey. And I want to thank you for listening to another episode of Road to Damascus. I'm your host, Brock Hendricks. And before we uh, introduce the people who's going to be helping me navigate the ship, I want to first tell you how you can participate with the show. Per usual, you can reach us at Road to Damascus. That's Road, the number two, Damascus at iCloud.com, as well as Road to Damascus on Instagram, as well as Twitter. We would love to hear from you. Any feedback, any show suggestions, or overall just telling us how great of a job we're doing. Um, Hit us up. So today is just me and uh, one other person. It's uh, the one who y'all come to hear. The one who drops wise nuggets, the the wise wise Jedi, the the sheik, y'all know her as Rabbi, and I am just but a Padawan. Say what's up to the crowd, Rabbi. How you doing today? What's up, everybody? You the one they come to hear. You be dropping them gems. So how are you today? I'm doing pretty good. I I feel pretty good today. That's good. That's good. So I'm going to be honest with you. We've been sitting here brainstorming a little bit um, because it was a couple show ideas that I had, but um, not enough people here to execute what I wanted to do. So we're going to actually talk about um, what leadership looks like within the church and um, how you can know good leadership, but even passing, passing, excuse me the mantle in leadership and what that should look like. Um, And this came from a conversation that we were just having about. um, So recently Bishop TD Jakes um, just had his woman thou art loose conference. And at the the last day of the conference that Saturday, um, unexpectedly he came out. His daughter was the keynote speaker for that day. And he passed on the mantle. Um, to his daughter, he said, there will be no more woman thou art loose, but it will be now woman evolved. It was something that uh, his daughter had already been working on, and it was just something beautiful to see. Um, and Shonda had brought up why that was so great and why that was what leadership looks like. So I'll let you uh, jump in from there, Rabbi. Uh, yeah, listen, it was amazing to see. Now, I haven't watched all of the clips um, of it, but the part that I did see was very touching. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be very honest. There, there were a couple of things that happened that literally just made my eyes tear up because leadership is important to me. Um, having conscious leadership is important to me because, um, you know, Bishop Jakes is a conscious leader. Now you can say whatever you want to say about Bishop Other Jakes, stuff. you know what I mean? And, um, I don't know all the scandalous things. It, it it doesn't really matter to me at this point. He's a conscious leader. He is awake. He could see his successor. Um, leaders, real leaders, don't look for potential. They look for patterns. Amen. You know, potential is deceptive. You know, you can see someone who, oh, they have so much potential. Uh Uh-huh, and that's all they're going to ever have is potential. Right. You know, real leaders look for patterns. You can see what is happening. You're not blind. Your eyes are not wide shut. You know, leaders are not blinded by what they see. Um, We talked about when uh, Moses 
when the children of Israel had grown to such a large capacity that he was unable to uh, minister to them by himself. And God said, listen, choose you out 70 men who are of good report, men who are already doing the work of ministry and anoint them and let them assist you because they're already doing the work. And one of the most widely misused scriptures of lay hands suddenly on no man doesn't have anything to do with you going to the altar and, and someone being able to pray for you. It has everything to do with that situation right there when God was speaking to Moses as in ordaining people for a certain work. Meaning don't be so quick to just put anybody in any position. Absolutely. Not don't lay hands suddenly. On no one right. to ordain them for a work that you have not physically seen them being able to do. So just so for the people out there, Shonda just helped y'all understand the scripture that we have been misusing. That brings us back to a show we did not yeah. <laughs> uh, previously, but continue. Yeah. Um, leaders know that you can't love above your character. So if you are a mean person, you're not about to give out a bunch of kind love. Your love's going to be mean. You know, if you are, uh, if you're a liar, your love is not going to ascend above your character. Hence why we watch for patterns and not potential. Because you can see, oh, they have such good potential, Ooh, but they lie every chance they get. Not going to go above your character. So having a good leader that is not unconscious is amazing. I'm t Did you see the movie The Sixth Sense? Yes. 1999 came Spoiler out. alert. Yeah. I'm, I'm, it was 1999. But you, I'm spoiling you, you, it for you at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it don't matter. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> but the little guy, the little boy in the movie saw dead people. And Bruce Willis is having this conversation, and, and the little boy says to him, I see dead people. It never registered to Bruce Willis that he was dead. Right. It never registered to him. And people go through their lives just like that, not realizing that they're dead. They are completely unconscious in a spiritual catatonic state, but still able to have conversation so they don't recognize that they are dead. And people like that, because they can excel in their career, they can move up the ladder in their careers, and they can become leaders, but they are still not conscious. So being able to get into a position of leadership doesn't make you a conscious leader, doesn't make you awake spiritually, doesn't mean you have the vulnerability necessary to train and to teach and to see um, the patterns of other people, to be able to see your successor. Many people die right in position having never trained anybody, mentored anybody, having never passed the mantle, having never passed the torch on because they can't see it. They're all about themselves. Amen. Amen. I, I think we can just uh, end right there. You didn't um, just drop so many gems on us. Um, thank you all for coming out. Uh, don't forget to tip your waiters and waitresses on the way. No. So let me ask you this, Shonda, when it comes to being a leader and possibly looking around to see people who can eventually be in leadership position with you. And then so we've gotten that part. 
How do you now go to the next step of finding a successor? If you have successfully mastered yourself, if you have subdued your own ego, then you'll recognize it when you see it because it's not in competition with you. You don't feel like this person is your competition. But it's hard to see your successor if your ego is still on the front stage. So if your ego is a willing participant, you're not going to see the next leader anyway. No, you see them as competition. But the thing about it is leadership, when you see a person, a, a real leader, it should be attractive. It should make people want to do what you do. You should make doing what you do look so good and so easy that somebody else wants it. So if nobody's coming for your job, you're not doing it right. And and even, you know, like Paul. Paul said, even later, I sat at the foot of Gamaliel. Because right. sitting at the foot of Gamaliel. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. Yeah. So people say, oh, I came from so-and-so's line. I, I sat under Bishop so-and-so, mm-hmm. Pastor so-and-so. And things like that. So you automatically get the reputation just from doing that. So Joe Osteen being the son of Joe Osteen, his dad was named Joe, right? Or was it John? I don't know. I, I think, but I'm saying, but his dad, you know. His dad had a really reputable name. Right. So that, him so, taking over that ministry. Uh, gives you a leg up compared right. to other people. John Gray. John Gray. Came out of that ministry. Right. So he had a leg up because of where he came from. And so a lot of times people don't, what's the word I'm looking People don't, people don't understand the importance of you coming from under me makes only makes me look better. Mm-hmm. But when a person, this is how you can also tell the, the a good leader, a conscious leader from someone who's unconscious, the person who comes out from under them the character of that person has a whole lot to do with where they came from because attitude and character reflects leadership. Okay. So when John Gray came out from Joel Osteen and he had these character flaws, when the heat hit him, his character couldn't stand on. You you can't minister above your character. Gotcha. You know, you can ascend above it, but your character going to catch up with you. Yeah, they, they, they running neck and neck. Oh, yeah, it's going to catch up <laughs> with you. Um, why didn't your leader recognize that? Why didn't they see that part? Why couldn't they get help you get that part under control? Because they're unconscious. So you don't see the flaws in the people beneath you because you're not paying attention. You on fire today. Was you five for five from three point land, <laughs> Chef Curry style, NBA finals, Steph Curry. You know. Um, aim for the backboard. Ain't, no, ain't no backboard need to be aimed for. Um, so why is it? Do you think? Because the Bible says love. Um, there's three ways that you're tempted: lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that pride is what um, blinds leaders? Because you know, even in in the Bible, when it was talking about the king of Tyree, and then it, it starts to kind of switch up where you know he's no longer talking about th- the man, but talking about the principality that was on him and making it, you know, you you were covered in jewels and pride was in you. 
and things like that. So do you think that that um, reverence of sitting up on the stage and being um, lauded and told that you're good, that that prevents them from having an open eye to even want to um, elect leaders or, you know, because they'll just have somebody, oh, just pick some people instead of them doing it themselves. Ask that question one more time. So here, let me find a better way to ask it. So lust of the flesh, mm-hmm. lust of the eye, pride of life. Uh-huh. A lot of times people, what we think is pride really isn't pride. Okay. But when you're on that pulpit every Sunday, when the crowd wants you and the days you're not there, they're not showing up. It's easy to believe it's about you mm-hmm. and not about God. And I used the example when he was talking about the king of Tyree. But what I'm basically asking is, is do you think that that pride of it's about me is what prevents them from being able to consciously um, elect good leaders, select good people, things like that? Because I, I've, in, in my own opinion, believe that a lot of times leaders have chosen weak people. That only makes them look better. It's like a good-looking girl and all her friends is ugly. She look, you know, a seven looking like a ten when you look at her in the friend group. That was a joke. It was a joke. I don't want people to get offended, but you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. If you don't first subdue your own ego, all of your selections will continue to feed that thing. you have to remember that when you are tempted, you are, it's, it's because of your own lust that we are drawn away and enticed. So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life have to have something to attach to that's already in you. So when you haven't subdued your ego, you are just a harvest for the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Because all those things feed your ego. Well, I should be able to have that because I want it. That would look very good on me. You know what I mean? David, I would David. To the top of this hill, look, I've built bigger barns. It's all about your ego because you haven't subdued it. You haven't subdued your ego, so you haven't submitted yourself to Christ. So you're not leading people to him. You're not making selections based on patterns that show that anyone has a relationship with God. Okay. It's all about Ego, that is what is being showcased. That's what's on the stage. That's why most people don't even choose successors. That's why it's a mess when they die and you leave them to fight over who's going to get it, who's going to sit on my right hand, who's going to sit on my left. Are you really serious? Why are we not mentoring people? Because we don't see them. We're still looking for people who have the right name. You don't need a big name. You need a big spirit. You don't need a name. You need the person who has submitted themselves to God. While we still looking for Jesse's seven sons, the oil is only going to flow for David, the one who don't look like everybody else, the one who has separated himself from everybody else, the one who's on the backside of the mountain seeking instruction from God for how to kill the lion, the tigers, and bears that's trying to destroy the sheep, the one who's back there whose heart is pouring out to God because he's back there by himself. The one who has realized that God is his source. God's not a resource. He's the source. 
the one who's back there saying he they want to see us, but these sheep ain't gonna take care of themselves. I have to tend to the job that I've been called to do. Absolutely, back there working already. No title, just functioning. For people who don't know, that's a big thing that Shonda used to always tell us. Tight people want title with no function. Right. I just want the title. And the church is one of the only places where that's acceptable. You can't be a police officer without proving that you can shoot, without proving you can run, and that you can scale a wall, and that you can take being tased. You know, you're going to tase somebody, then you need to be able to take it. You can't be a fireman without going through rigorous training and proving that you can carry a 150-pound body up a flight of stairs through smoke or that you can crawl on your belly. You can't be in the Army until you go through basic training. Why is it then that in the church you can have the title of a bishop and you don't even have to prove that you're the husband of one wife like the instructions say that you have to be? You don't have to have a good report amongst the people, as the word says. You know, why is that? Why is it that you don't have to prove that you are apt to teach or quick to hear and slow to speak? Why is it that you don't have to show that you can love somebody more than you hate what they do in order to be the person who leads them to God? Why is that? At some point, you're going to have to be able to display the function that you pretend you have. Leaders. Leadership is a real thing. We need good leadership. So, so let me ask you this. When when you talked about the succession plan and them not naming a, a successor, because Bishop Jakes didn't retire. Mm. He just turned over this part of his ministry over to his daughter. And you said that was the part that really made you look at him in a way because it wasn't going to lead to any infighting later on. Right. And explain why you think that's so important. One. He saw that Sarah was doing the work. She was already working on a large scale with with women. Bishop Jakes, he said, I've been doing this for 30 years. 30, I've been to Woman Thou Art Loose. I've sat in the atmosphere. I've seen it. It is electric. It is charged up. It is an amazing experience if you've never had it. It would be easy for him to just ride that out until he dies. A real leader understands when he has come to the end of the road. And it doesn't mean that he's no longer able to do the job. Doesn't mean that because he can still do it. He can still preach. He's still a good teacher. He still has strength in his body. He didn't have to be wheeled out there on the stage or wheeled away from it. He can still do it. But he saw that she's doing the work. He saw that she has the character that can live up to the standards. And it's not that she hasn't made mistakes because she was very vocal. And it's not that just that it's his daughter. No. She just so happened to be his daughter. And he was able to pass the torch. And you could hear the tremble in his voice. Because it's not easy to give it up. And I think it was a twofold tremble. You know, that golf ball in his throat was twofold. One, it's an end, the end of an era for him. And then it's the passing on of a torch to somebody, to somebody else. else. And then he said, as I had your back, I will still have your back. He didn't fade into black. 
He said, I'm still the watchman on the wall. That's what leaders do. They train you up, and then they set you in position to do the work. And they watch you to make sure that you're okay. They're not micromanaging, trying to put a leg in. They're not playing hokey pokey and double dutch with it. <laughs> your right leg in. You take it right, out. You shake no. it all about. I like that. I like that. So he he so in general with leadership, what what is the criteria? So you, Shonda, I put you in charge and I say, all right, Shonda, I need I'm building a church. And I want you to help me. Um select people, come up with the, the the framework and all of that. What's the first thing that you are, what do those steps look like? What are the first things you're doing? Am I, it depends. I bring you on, I'm, Sean, I'm starting a church. I'm bringing you on as an advisor mm-hmm. to help me. Well, one, I know you got to trust that, all right, there's somebody who I can help. Right. Start a ministry. So let's just yeah. like, because okay. it ain't just anybody coming. You'd be like, yeah, I don't think that's going to work for you, yeah. but good luck though. <laughs> so somebody who, you know, mm-hmm. has been called to ministry, somebody that you've seen okay. doing the work. Like I, you wouldn't have came to this podcast and sit here and do this podcast with me. If you didn't believe in what I was doing, mm-hmm. you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So now I say, all right, Shonda, I'm turning this into a ministry. I need your help as a consultant mm-hmm. to help me build this ministry. Okay. I need, what is that going to look like when I'm saying I need to, I want to first pick my leaders, the people that's going to help me. That's what I was about to say. The first thing I would say is show me your team. Show me the list of people that you have on your team. I, I need to see these people because if there's a, um, a group of people who are um, weaker than you, when you go down, the whole thing goes down. You should be the weakest link on your team. If it breaks, it breaks above you and not beneath you. Sorry, I had to hit you with that one. So I need to see the team. If the team is good, then, okay, let's, let's start working. If the team is not good, then we, we, we got to start all over. Because you need team that can take correction. Can can your team be corrected? Because the true test of sonship is chastisement. Because he chastens those that he loves. Can they be corrected and still stand with you? Um, how is their? How are they when they are upset? How are they in all four seasons? How are they to people when everything is good? How are they to people in winter when everything has gone away? How are they in fall? How do they handle change? And how are they in summer when they have everything they need, everything is flourishing? How is their heart then? How are they with you? How do they treat you when they don't like what you said? How do they treat people who can do nothing for them in return? How do they treat people who are unlovable? Because the core of your ministry has to be love because the currency of your ministry is souls. Whether you're doing a podcast, starting a church, starting a school, uh, opening up a, a big B on the corner, it's still customer service. It's souls. And every person that approaches is a soul. 
And the soul of the mother, the soul of the father, all souls are mine. That's what God says. Now, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. But all that is up to him and not us. So we got to look at the team. Everybody on your team can't be like you. I have a team. As the chair of the union, I have a team. We're in negotiations. And when you look at my team, uh, <laughs> I have one person on my team who she's the oldest person on the team. Her hair is good and gray. She has been a part of unions and negotiations for years. She knows the contract like the back of her hand. If you ask her a question, I can go to her and ask her anything, and she's familiar with it. She's my wisdom. I have a person on the team who I clearly don't, we don't see eye to eye on anything, but we can talk about it. We can agree to disagree, and it doesn't interfere with our ability to relate. Does not destroy relationship. I know that she's going to ask questions that I don't see because our perspectives and vantage points are both different. But she challenges the way I think. I challenge the way she thinks. She still respects me as the head of this team. There she is. Then I have a person on the team. This is their first time ever in negotiation. So their eyes are fresh. They're looking at everybody, hearing everything. They sit in silence until it's, they're the silent killer that nobody will ever see coming. Because they don't say anything until it's time. And then there's me. I'm the face of the team. I keep my cool under pressure. Everyone thinks that I'm the calm and intellectual one. They don't know that I will take the head of, of a snake if I need to. We all bring something different to the table, but we all work together. We all respect each other. Even when we disagree, we never disagree at the table. This Time and works. place. Time and place. We all respect it. Somehow, that doesn't translate well to the church. People think that because they're in the church, they can say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it to whoever they want to say it to. And most, I'm sorry, y'all, but most church leaders are afraid of confrontation until they get angry and then nothing is accomplished. Real leaders understand that force is only necessary when you don't have discipline. Real leaders understand that power, real power, is quiet. You writing a book about this? So let me let, let me go here with you because I'm a I'm a I'm a non flip flip it devil's advocate style. Flip it. So somebody will say to you, "Well, we can't always operate in the church the way they do in the world." You just gave a great example, but the church is different. We can't do it that way. Why do we always try to do the church bring the outside world into the church world? You it's, it's a lot different. It's not the same. And things like that. What would you say to them? I would say. Because you know that's we get that you get that pushback all the time. Mm-hmm. So I would say in this instance and many others, actually, um, we shouldn't be two people. You shouldn't be one person at work and a different person at church. You have the challenge to be the same person, to be authentic all the time. Just because Jesus flipped over that table um, in, inside the temple didn't make him any any different we have the challenge to be love to show love all the time to operate in love all the time whether I'm sitting in the boardroom at work or sitting in the boardroom at church the goal is the same 
to do whatever it is I'm about to do as unto the Lord. We make it different because we want to, um, we don't want to have the accountability of being the same way. We want to be different. Well, I, I, ain't, I ain't at church right now. Yes, you are. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost all the time. You are always a church, ma'am or sir. So, yeah. A walking tabernacle. Yeah. You are God's love letter. You are God's living love letter to be read of all men at all times. You don't get to represent yourself just because you at work. You are still an ambassador as long as you are walking on the earth. So what about even structurally? They'll complain structurally too. We can't, you know, businesses as CEO, COO, CFO, um, you know, not only do they have it, they also have a board of uh, board of directors and mm-hmm. things like that. And then you say, well, why are you trying to bring that same kind of structure into the church? It's, it's a, that, that structure is a system of checks and balances. Now, you can call them the, a board of directors or you can call them a board of elders. It is still a system of checks and balances. Just like the CEO has the board to make sure that he is following the bylaws, to make sure that there's no nepotism, to make sure that he's not violating any of the state or federal regulations that control how this is supposed to be operated. The pastor, who is the CEO, he has a board of elders. That's just their title. But they function as a system of checks and balances to make sure that he is following all of the bylaws the way they should be followed to make sure that there's no nepotism involved, to make sure that they're handling the money according to state and federal regulations, to make sure that they're not um, doing anything inappropriate, you know, to handle complaints and concerns just like the other board. Same thing, same system. The CEO shouldn't go unchecked. The pastor shouldn't go unchecked. Because the truth be told, sitting in those positions of power, uh, they both have the potential to take a left at Albuquerque if unchecked. Because at the base, they're still human. So let me ask, let me, because you brought up a point in there. Is appointing your kids your successor and not just... We're not going to use the Jake's example because we know that Sarita was doing the work. Sarah. Sarah, excuse me. Right, that's his wife. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sarah was doing the work. Well, women evolved. She's written books, New York Times bestseller, things like that. Um, So, but is is it a cop-out just to go ahead and just name your kids? Yeah, if they're not qualified. If you're doing it just to keep the peace. If you're doing it so that you're not tasked or challenged with choosing um, the right way, then, yeah, it's a cop-out. You know what? I'm just going to let my son do it. That'll just avoid. Um, he's familiar with the way I do things. He knows how I would run it. It ain't his job to run it the way you run it. It's his job to run it the way God says it should be ran. And a lot of times it has to come out of your bloodline to get in the right bloodline so that it can be run the right way. I have had nonprofit governance and board regulations, and uh, the way a lot of churches are set up, uh, the board is made up of the majority of family and friends, and that is not the way it's supposed to be. So, isn't so? 
boards aren't supposed to have any families on them. They can have some family. But it can't be the majority of the board making made up of family. Right. And what what is considered family? Um, wives, sons, daughters, um, granddaughters, daughters-in-laws, son-in-laws, um, the people who are directly connected and influenced. So what about like nieces, nephews, cousins, uncles? Yeah. Your family. Okay, I'm just wondering. The majority. So if you have a board of 12, mm-hmm. your family have to be five. Maybe Couldn't be. Two. Okay. Okay. And hmm. they shouldn't be yes men. You, okay. <laughs> Elaborate on that. You know, your board shouldn't be made up of people who are going to just do what you say just because they're afraid of you or they're going to do what you say just because you said it. That's not how it's supposed to be. The board is made up of people who are there to help you make the right decisions. And you should trust them. It should be made up of people you trust, not people you agree with. And you know what's funny? I often have this conversation with people. It's like, when Jesus chose the 12 and there are more that we know about a few of them than all of them. But the fact that I always go back to the Peter pulling out the knife Mm -hmm. or I go to the sons of Zebedee asking him to call fire from heaven. And these were men who saw Jesus do miracles. Mm -hmm. Loved. Judas was angry uh, with Jesus the whole time. The whole time. The enti- from the time he volunteered until right. he betrayed him, he was angry. But Jesus never. <sighs> and you all, are, let me ask you this. Do you think no matter how hard you try not to have a Judas, that you still going to have one? Absolutely. Leadership attracts Judas. <sighs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Where did that just come from? <laughs> What that fresh rhyme of word just come from? It does. Leadership attracts envy. It attracts jealousy. If yours doesn't, if you don't have any haters, if you're not attracting them, if they ain't coming for you, if they ain't trying to get close to you to figure out, then you're not doing it right. Like when when I'm on the cold show and she be like, wait a minute, let me sit back (laughs) on that one for a minute. Attracts and Judas was the only one that volunteered. The only one, everyone else was selected except for Judas. And that says a lot. Mm-hmm. He was good at what he did, he was the money person. And, 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 and hold on, hold on, hold on, because I just got this while we speak. Now, think about this where was everybody else's heart for the people? They wouldn't even cared about the money. Judas volunteered said, hey, I'm good with money. I can help. Mm-hmm. But that's where his whole his ministry was about the money yeah. and the power. And it's people that will choose a Judas to end up being a leader, mm-hmm. not knowing the whole time. As Biggie once said, it's the ones that smoke blunts, which is see your picture. Now they want to grab their guns and come and get you. Yeah. David said, he was like, it wasn't my enemy. He was like, if it had been my enemy that betrayed me, I would have been able to take it. He was like, but it was the one that went into the sanctuary with me. It was the one that dipped his hand in the dish with me. That's who it was. 
Your greatest supporter is somebody you don't know. Your enemy probably sitting in the chair next to you. Laughing at your jokes. Yeah, because they want to ride with you all the way to the top. And then when you fall. They want to take your seat. <sighs> Do y'all understand we giving y'all this game for free? Do y'all understand y'all getting this game for free? I hope y'all listening because when Shonda start charging, she going to be hitting y'all with that with that that fat Joe. Yesterday's prices are not today's prices. I love you. When you dropping stuff like this, man, you be going in. Listen. <laughs> no, but I, I mean, uh, we'll be wrapping up soon, but um, just last couple questions with the the leadership aspect um what do you look for in somebody that you're about to follow in their qualities of, as a leader what what is what do you see in a person to be like all right that's a person i can i can rock with i don't mind being under that person or following that person somebody who's willing to show their scars because your scars are the roadmap for me I look for someone who's who can be vulnerable, someone who doesn't have this illusion of perfection. I look for someone who's not afraid. Because if you're afraid, if you're the leader and you're afraid, then everybody else is afraid. I look for someone who who knows who they are and are confident in who they are called to be. It's clear who they are. It's clear. It's who they are when they are not in the pulpit. It's who they are in regular conversation. You can't be pastor so-and-so, but then Mr. So-and-so. Right. Like, who am I talking to? Am I talking to pastor or am I talking to Mr.? Exactly. Like, pa- I, I never use a title. I don't care how long I, how I work for. I don't care. I don't use a title. I'm, I'm Shonda all the time, no matter Rabbi what I'm Rabbi Shonda. <laughs> Just if I see you and you call her anything and it ain't rabbi ain't first, you're going to have a problem with me. With me. I don't care what she say. You're going to have a problem with me. <laughs> but I love my brother. And how we talk here, this is how we talk. We could be having a conversation offline. This is me all the time. You, This is it. This what you see is, is what, what you get. get. Yeah, no, I, and... And that's where the authenticity part comes in. That's where, because most good leaders, whether it's in sports, whether it's in life, whether it's um, the school board or the president of the United States, Mm -hmm. they have to have something that make like um, politics aside, Barack Obama, when he became president, It wasn't just the inspiration for me because I saw a black man as a president. But everything he had to deal with and put up with, he was Jackie Robinson. The disrespect and he and and he made you feel like, are we cool? Because he was always every time just and people couldn't see my hand, but he was just always even killed. Right. And you'll never make me believe that he didn't want to lose his cool a couple of times at these press conferences because y'all pressing him and you seconds away from calling him the N-word. And uh, When you give in the State of the Union and somebody shouts out liar? Right. Never been done before? You going to disrespect this man? Call him a liar? So, yeah, um, 
I look because who because you know because you know. <laughs> what you say? What you say? You know what I mean? Like who you talking to? You <laughs> Secret Service put him out. Put him out. Right, but he never did. Nope. Cause I, I I still remember his last State of the Union address. He was like, um, "This is my last State of the Union. I have no more uh, races to run. No more things like that." And the Republicans started clapping. He said, "Because I've won them all." Exactly. <laughs> and they just like like, oh, y'all want to clap? Y'all thought yeah. I gave y'all an applause line, but I've yeah. won them all. Yeah. Ain't nothing else for me to win. Yeah, so I I think I, I agree with that because at the end of the day, yeah, I just think that 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 part of the even kill self control yeah. and self control is a tenant of the spirit. Mm-hmm. It's part of the fruit. And, and and you know what's funny? And just to take a quick left, people can name all of the grand things that are fruits of the spirit. <laughs> you know, they they point at the palm trees. But what about this little small bush right here that we don't think about? So last question before we do a block is hot. Um, last question. Hold on. Let me think. Cause I, I had it and you start dropping your gems and, and it, and it left. So I could, cause see normally folks, I have stuff I've already written and things like that, but we going off the cuff. So um, I didn't have it written down. Um, oh, oh, okay. Now I remember. All right, so, and this is about back to the succession of leadership. Why is it important for a leader to still be in good health, cognitive, still able to run the race to pass that mantle on? Why Why do you think that is more important? Like you said, Jakes was, he. I mean, he's still preaching at Potter House. He's still... Mm-hmm. Teaching, preaching, traveling, nothing wrong with him. He wasn't wheeled out. Why is it important to have that succession plan in place already? Because what you want is for people, those who follow you, to respect you and not start to pity you. We've all seen it. Pastors who are in the pulpit, they're no longer... um, cognizant fully of what's happening. Sometimes they are in the realm. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they are on a page that is no longer in the book. And (laughs) we are trying to just sit through it because of historical relationship. It's not because you're any longer being fed and the charge is to feed the flock. And if you're no longer capable to prepare a meal conducive for consumption, then you should be willing to step aside and let a chef who is fully prepared cook for the people of God and feed them. Because what you want to do is go out while people can still respect you and not sit here out of pity for you. That's why it's important to have a success. Oops, sorry. I hit the wrong The block is hot. The block is hot. You got something for us today, Rabbi? No, no. The block is not hot for me today. The block isn't hot for you today? You sure? Because you... No, not hot. Okay, well... I know you got something. I got something. Um, 
so you know I'm I try to keep up with the socials and things like that and um so recently there was a law that was passed in Illinois and I kept seeing people posting about a purge is going to be happening the purge and first and foremost I don't know if people have ever seen the movie The Purge I have not The movie The Purge All right so great Shonda I'll tell you what the movie The Purge was The movie The Purge was about um the United States of America allowed for a one night of lawlessness. That means anybody for this one night could do any kind of law breaking they wanted to as far as killing people, all of this. They allowed this for one night. I think it was from like six to six. So like six in the evening to six in the morning. They would allow this to to this purge to take place. And people were comparing this law where it was talking about bail, you know, bail and um, cash bail to that law. So I'm seeing people I know, church folks, you know, it's being talked about, all this other stuff. So I said, let me just really, really, really read up on this and find out what's going on. So Shonda, first thing I found out when I was reading this, this isn't the first time this law has been passed. Second, Illinois passed is supposed to take place um, in 2023 in January. Do you know was the the last state that just passed this same law, Shonda? What? The state of New Jersey. Exact same law. Do you know who was the governor at the time of New Jersey when this law passed? The very, very liberal Chris Christie. No. Chris Christie was the governor of New Jersey when a very similar law passed. So just for all the people that's listening, so you understand, all this law does is get rid of cash bail. Period. The judge still has discretion to keep somebody locked up pre-trial if they deem that person to be a danger to either witnesses themselves or to society or a flight risk. What cash bail has done since cash bail has been in has um, criminalized poverty. If you don't have money to bail yourself out, no matter what the crime is, then guess what? You aren't getting out. And I always use the example of Khalif Browder, who was accused of stealing a book bag, spent three years on Rikers Island, was let out. Then when it was some kind of technicality that he might have to go back, what did he do, Shonda? He killed himself himself. because he'd rather be dead than have to go back to Rikers Island. And, you know, when, when you bring up abortion conversation, Shonda, a lot of people will say, well, um, only... 1% 1% of abortions are because of um, are because of rape or incest. They always hit you with that stat. Well, guess what? 1% of people who are let out on bail are murderers, killers, people who are going to hack you up, rapists, all of that. Those people usually get put in jail mm-hmm. pre-trial because they're a detriment. Also, what you don't talk about is if you did get cash bail, no matter what the crime was, if you had money to get out, you were getting out. If you raped somebody and your parents were rich enough to get you out of that situation while you didn't have to rot in the jail, guess where you were? You were not going to rot in that jail right. waiting on trial. And some families is rich enough that they can send you out of the country. And that's where some people would try to do that. But the money and the influence, all this was doing was getting rid of the equation that you had to have cash to be able to get released from jail for the crime. So that was it. Um, so before I close out, you got anything, Rabbi? I think that the way our prison system is set up, 
I think it's designed to take us way back to slavery day. Well, that's a different conversation yep. about, about, um, you know, even the prison industrial complex. So we can, how the we police can, department was developed in the first place. Or, or slave patrols and mm-hmm. even how the when you see the amount of people that were locked up and what people went to jail for now, how many people are in jail is definitely um big business. So and that was the block is hot. So we're gonna close out. Great show, Shonda. I think we I think we we for us not to be able to cover maybe a couple of things we wanted to talk about, for that just to come off the cuff, I feel like we uh no, I'm sorry, excuse me. I feel like you killed the game. Stop. <laughs> our, our cuffs are anointed by God. <laughs> so um I'll let you go ahead with your closing statement. Um, I'll close with this. Um leaders aren't made, they're born. Um they emerge in moments. And uh, a good leader seeks the Lord, commits his ways to the Lord, and the Lord establishes his steps. Um, I think effective leaders have good communication skills. They set good examples. They're always ready to take on um, responsibility. They have motivation. Um, They can tolerate mistakes. They have flexibility. They set goals and have realistic expectations. And they understand the importance of knowing the difference between blame and responsibility. Amen, amen, amen. So I'm going to uh, end with this scripture that uh, I read yesterday when me and Stephanie had prayer over the phone in the morning. Okay. Uh, this is from Romans 12. I'm reading from the ESV, uh, starting at the fourth chapter. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that defer according to grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in portion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I think it's important that we have to understand that everybody has a function in the body, but not everybody's function is the same. And a real leader understands that it is about kingship because there is already one king, which is God. And we are under his sonship, which was Jesus. So just because the father made his son the chosen one doesn't mean you have to make yours the chosen one real leadership is understanding that those people that you have have to be able to function within the body and make all the members go. And with that being said, I want to thank you all for listening to another episode of road to Damascus, where it's not about the road. It's about the journey. And until next time, thank you for listening. God bless.